Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, another lockdown edition here from Auckland, New Zealand. We're in level four, the rest of the country moving to level two, but not till 23.59 uh, tonight, Raj. Um, we've got a lot coming up on the podcast this week. We've got some new listeners, which we'll give a shout out to. We're going to talk about Pakistan, the white ferns, the black caps in Bangladesh, um, and my fellow countrymen have got their asses handed to them again, England, India, all coming up on the Top Order Podcast after this very, very nice sound effect. Uh, Lippy, I'll come to you first and foremost. Uh, Raj, our resident health and safety expert, um, you look after the mailbag and correspondence, all the uh, doting housewives uh, sending in their pictures to you, etc. But also some new listeners in the West Indies, um, El Salvador, Germany and the UAE as well. So we're, we really are a worldwide cricket podcast, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. It's it's, um, it's really funny for us, I guess, sitting here in Auckland and, um, you know, I'm sitting in my, my garage, just sitting here recording on the floor of my garage. And, and to think that people are listening all over the world is, is a real buzz for us. So, yeah, we've had some some um, people talk to us from, from Germany and, and, yeah, like you say, all over the world. And I think just the more uh, chat that we can have with, with everyone and, and email us in, we just love to hear where you are and where you're listening. Yeah, great stuff. Let's move on to some more serious things. So we, um, I guess to sort of put a little bit of a light on the way we plan the podcast, put together our topics uh, normally a day or two out, but some breaking uh, or relative breaking news with the Pakistan um, coaching staff, um, or at least Misbah and, and Wakar stepping down, COVID uh, victims in terms of, you know, they're citing that as a reason um, for that, um, very quickly, the board have moved uh, Saklain and Abdul Razak coming as interim coaches. But yeah, it'd be pertinent just to touch on that briefly. Anyone got an eye on that? Uh, yes. Thanks, Adam. Very uh, interesting developments over the last week or so. Uh, coming back from, from South Africa, they, they do. They feel the pressure of that biosecure environment and, and having to travel so much as an international player or coach. It would be really hard being away from your families for that long. But, uh, you know, let, let's not get confused. This, this is actually, this is definitely a political issue. Uh, so we have Ramiz Raja, who's taking over as chairman of the board on the 13th of September. He's publicly uh, said that he doesn't believe Mizbah and Waka are the right men for the job to take Pakistan through. Uh, so he stated this publicly. They're about to have a home series. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're putting their stamp on their team, especially with the, the lineups that they've chosen for this series, as well as the the team that's going to go through to the World 2020, World Cup 2020. Um, it's a younger team, a different team. So, uh, yeah, over to you, Baldy. That's the thing that confuses me a little bit. If if the the playing record and the record of the team, particularly since Wakar took over as bowling coach, their, their fast bowlers have come along in leaps and bounds. We talked about Shaheen Charafridi in the podcast last week. And even going right back to his performances here in New Zealand, in New Zealand's tour this time, almost this time last year, a lot of those fast bowlers have come along in leaps and bounds and have grown tremendously as young cricketers under the tutelage and guidance of Wakai Yunus in particular. So that comment surprises me a little bit. I'm not sure uh, around their batting uh, whether that has developed necessarily under Mizbah, but it feels like that he was a pretty solid member of that coaching squad and it felt like, you know, with Yunus involved and Mizbah and, and all these guys, they had a really quite solid coaching squad of former players who know what the political situation is like in terms of being a cricketer in that kind of hectic environment in Pakistan. And to change again, 
I, I am I'm a little bit concerned and worried about the development of these young players. You know, Pakistan almost more than any other country tends to churn through cricketers, particularly fast bowlers. Uh, so my concern is with that rotation of coaching, will we see another rotation in their in their personnel and their test side, which won't be good for the team long term? Well, look, as we said, it's it's very much breaking uh, news. I'm sure this story is going to develop. I would say that we interviewed the uh, chief executive of the Pakistan Cricket Board a while ago on the podcast now, uh, Wasim Khan, um, and he talked a lot about that sort of assimilation when he came in as chief executive and uh, the sort of political nature of the way that the sort of board works. Um, so, yeah, kind of interesting that they described the decision um, with Misbah um, stepping down and Wakar as honourable, um, which, yeah, I guess as a sort of an objective, it, it's kind of one of those things, you know, we wish them all the best in, you know, their future endeavours, but uh, very quickly they've got the next guys lined up. So, look, I'm sure that's got plenty um, plenty to run. Um, Lippy, across to you for the White Ferns update. So um, you wanted them to give you some hope. Have they delivered? Absolutely. I mean, I know there's only been two games and, and they were they were beaten fairly comfortably in, in the first T20 and uh, super innings from Tammy Beaumont. As an aside, just love watching her bat. She's, yeah, she's a real treat to watch. Absolute class. And I know you know that as an English supporter, Binksy, but yeah, absolutely love that, you know, even though uh, it was against New Zealand. But I think what, um, I know I've talked a few times about the White Ferns and, and just kind of being able to, as a New Zealand fan, you just want to be able to feel that they can win against the top sides and, and that they can pull out that kind of game. I, I know uh, internally a lot of the stuff coming out of the, the camp is all about consistency, and, and obviously that's what we want, you know, and that's what the, the Black Caps have done so well in recent times. They've played really well, and they've put performances back to back to back. And, you know, like I said, they've only played two games here, because and – I think they've still got six games over there against uh, against England. There's you know one one more T20 at the end of the week, and then into five ODIs. And so you know maybe in a week or so, a couple of weeks, I might be uh, you know singing a, a different tune. But you know so far, I think just the fact that they've gone over there, they've it's away from home. They've come from you know no real cricket uh, over an hour New Zealand winter, and they've gone over there and beaten a, a very strong England side in their own conditions. I think that gives us as fans, and it gives hopefully them, a lot of confidence that they can then do that in the T20 World Cup. Yeah, it was a good performance by New Zealand in that second ODI to limit the English top order. Of course, they ran riot in the first game and made 180 in their 20 overs. And Lee Kasprick and Jess Kerr in particular turned it around in that second game. You know, two for 20 and one for 23 off their eight overs combined really limited England's chances to, to post a big first inning score. And then New Zealand were able to have solid contributions at the top of the order. Little bit of a wobble in the middle, but they managed to get home. Uh, but a great return uh, for Sophie Devine in this series, Stuart, celebrating her 100th match. Oh, look, it's just a, an absolute treat when uh, something like that, you know, a milestone game actually comes off and, and delivers how, how you want it to deliver because... I mean, you know, let's let's take a step back. Sophie Devine, she's been such a, a, a brilliant kind of advocate and, and such an ambassador for, you know, women's cricket and, and uh, you know, the kind of person that you want to, to represent your side. She's, you know, recently spoken a lot about her mental health which is and kind of normalising that conversation, which is, you know, something we've touched on here a lot and, and how great it is that, that she's just able to feel comfortable with that. You know, even the last press conference, I saw her doing that and, and it's brilliant. And, you know, I heard her talk about how uh, she, 
you know, she just didn't feel like herself. And, and now she's starting to feel ready to, to perform again. And, and yeah, it's just brilliant. Binksy, you want to jump in before I say something else? Yeah, look, I guess I just wanted to make a point on that um, mental health comment. And look, I think particularly sport, um, because it's visible um, to a large extent, I think is almost in some ways leading the way in terms of having this conversation, particularly around the world with lots and lots of different um, lockdown situations. And a lot of organisations have sort of started to talk openly about, you know, actually having a mental health day uh, when, you know, when you need to kind of take a day off when, you, you know, you're, um, your mental health isn't as good as your, you know, your, your physical health potentially. You don't have a second thought when you've got a sore throat or a, um, you know, a cold of taking that day off. But um, really, sort of having that conversation around how you produce your best um, day in day out, and, and sort of acknowledging that. So, look, I just really hope that those kind of conversations continue because I think they, you know, they're um, for us as people that love the game of cricket. Um, cricket can mirror, you know, some of the things that society picks up on as well. So, yeah, really, really um, some strong comments. And, and she's a great advocate for those um, in, uh, yeah, in the modern game. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I, yeah, I couldn't echo those words more just on, on the, the actual game and her performance. I think what, um, you know, we've talked a lot about how we haven't really got those big performances recently from the, the big names in New Zealand. You know, you touched on a few of the bowling, bowlers, Baldy, and, and actually the bowlers have done a, a reasonable job in our, in our home summer, but the batters probably are the ones that would feel like they, they had more to offer. And, you know, if you look at Sophie Devine's recent scores for the White Ferns, you're looking at like 15-2-8-0-17-2. Just hasn't been able to kind of kick on and, and play these innings that we know are match-winning innings. Just, you know, she's such a devastating cricketer and you know, I mean, she in that game, if you go back and watch, there's a couple of enormous sixes. She's such a clean hitter of the ball. And, you know, it shows that if we can, we've got the players there that can pull off these wins and, and match winners. Uh, and if they can kind of click at the right time and kind of build some momentum here, there's, yeah, there's sort of things to be excited about as a White Ferns fan. And, um, you know, obviously I love to love to talk about Sophie Devine, a bit of a, a record and connection there. So, uh, yeah, always, always happy to get that in the podcast. Well, let's move from the White Ferns to the Black Caps. Raj, you were pretty pumped for this series. Um, a lot of people might say the cricket hasn't been um, super exciting, but uh, I'll ask the same question. Has it delivered for you, this series in Bangladesh? Yeah, you know, I'm a bit indifferent towards it, I guess. I feel like we're not really finding out much about these players, which was one of my my key things going into the series is that these are new new players to the international scene. But we have a pitch here where both teams are really struggling to play on. Uh, the best bowlers for us at the moment are, are players who are either batsmen, you know, in Ruchin Ravindra and and Cole, uh, or, or, or Ajaz Patel, someone who isn't really being considered for white ball cricket uh, going forward. Uh, other highlights we've got... Uh, Tom Latham batted really well in that second game where he probably batted where he should, up the order a little bit more. Um, a low light in Colin de Gronholm, really struggling for me. Uh, his best feature is, is his economical bowling with that white ball, and he's not able to use that uh, in the, the conditions that... Sorry? Or his helmet hair. Or his helmet hair. He's not, allowed, he's not able to bowl at the moment in the conditions that they've got. Uh, I def definitely feel like I I'm guilty at the moment of looking past the series and really looking forward to that Pakistan uh, series uh, next in the next couple of weeks. Literally to you though, with this with the spin that's playing a part, you must be 
frothing over this to an extent. Yeah, well, look, I, I want to push back on a couple of those things for, from from Raj, really, because I, I feel it, it's been a strangely captivating series for me. I've actually loved, you know, I've watched every single ball so far. We're, we're three games in. Um, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, there might be a, an, another game or two that goes. And and look, you know, it's 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 actually been pretty tough going. I kind of wish they started uh, an, at least an hour earlier, sort of going to bed at 1 a.m. in the morning, 1.30 in the morning is not ideal when you've uh, when you've got small children. But look, I've... I think that um, we have learned a bit about some of these players and, and I know probably my lean is towards those spinners, but I, I think that first game was really disappointing in that, you know, the pitch for a start was just, it was incapable. It was, I think the pitch that was the worst of the pitches and, and it was a pitch that you just couldn't score runs quickly on and, and you couldn't even really build in innings. It was a kind of game where, you know, even Bangladesh struggled when they were only chasing 60, but I think the way that we've gone about the next two games, it feels like those cricketers have actually learned a lot. They're, they're very unfamiliar conditions, but they've we've been able to see even someone like Rachin Ravindra. He started with a with a golden duck. He's then uh, his first over in international cricket was was pretty average. Got hit for a few boundaries. Got hit for about ten or eleven, I think, and it, you know chasing sixty, which is what one sixth of the runs. So that probably uh, you know didn't feel very good. But the way he's been able to come back and kind of figure out lengths and areas to bowl and things, and and even the way he batted in that third game, it, it shows to me that there is some growth, and, and I've actually kind of loved that. Stu, for these guys that are playing in this, let's not call it a second eleven, but there are guys in here that normally wouldn't feature in a full-strength New Zealand side. Who, for you, through the first three matches in this series, has enhanced their reputation or their case to become a regular fixture once we see New Zealand back on our shores this summer? Well, I think, I think, you know, it's going to come as no surprise. I think the three spinners have all done an, uh, a really good job. Actually they've, you know, Ajaz has been, look, he's been a shining light and, and he really has every single time he goes overseas and plays in, in helpful conditions, you know, obviously that's that there's no getting around that, that they are very helpful conditions for spin, but he's just bang on the money. You know, he just drops it on a line and length, Every single time he's got nice little, nice little change ups, and he's just delivering every single time we go overseas, and, and and really putting his, you know, putting his hand up to to feature in some of these games that we've got coming up in the subcontinent and things. So you know, it's very tricky for him to feature at home. It's always going to be the case uh, when we've got the likes of Ish and and Mitch Santner who kind of offer different things in New Zealand conditions. But you know, he's he's done himself a, a real service over there, and and look. Like I said, Rutchen's done really well. Been very impressed with him. And Cole, you know, you know, I'm kind of uh, not not. Uh, I'm I'm very biased when I'm watching Cole, obviously knowing knowing him well. But look, I think he's done a great job. You know, for someone to to come in and and perform at that level, he's been tasked with early overs. Looks like it's coming out really nicely, and yeah, I think he's bowled beautifully. Probably the the one person I will add to that is Tom Latham. Because he's, you know, Raj mentioned before he got runs in that second game. What what's almost impressed me more is his captaincy and his uh, just and the way he's gone about the batting in, in the uh, in the scenario and his keeping actually, because his keeping's been really really tidy on on tricky conditions. I think I can't remember him really missing the ball at all. Uh, and and just his captaincy, you know, I I sort of you know having done some captaincy in the past I kind of loved sitting there watching the game and, and I'll go oh, look this guy should be bowling next this guy should be bowling next 
you know, trying to figure out the game in my head. And just about every single thing that I've had a thought, oh, you know, if he did this, that would work. Or, you know, if he did this, uh, you know, we could create a wicket here. Will he do this? It's all, Tom Latham has got a lot. You can see that he's thinking a lot of different things and the way he's bringing in and rotating our spinners, Ajaz in particular, to kind of get the best out of them has been very, very impressive. And, and I wonder if they are now sitting there thinking, geez, it'd be nice to have him in that T20 World Cup squad. On the flip side of the coin, it hasn't been a great series for Colin de Grandholm, as you mentioned, Raj. Is this a concern for, for New Zealand, the form of Colin de Grandholm looking forward to this summer, given that he's probably likely to be there or thereabouts, maybe now behind uh, Nisham and potentially also Daryl Mitchell in this white ball setup for New Zealand? Uh, for me, it's personally not not an issue. Uh, I, I don't see him playing the role in those games that he is playing in these games. He's not going to be there to bat at four and offer 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 a little bit with the seam if the spinners don't do the job. He, he's going to be there bowling his 10 overs or his four overs, restricting, restricting batsmen in that middle part of the innings and then coming out and closing in innings if we need it. Uh, so I don't see it as a, a big issue for him. However, uh, it would be nice to see him score some runs in these next two games. Uh, Lippy? Oh, no, I mean, that, that kind of sums it up, isn't it? It would be nice to see him score some runs. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I am a little worried about Colin just in terms of uh, how far he's falling down the picking order, I think, in, in those, um, particularly in the, the white ball formats, um, you know, especially being picked, Daryl Mitchell being picked ahead of him, I think is, a, is quite a clear sign that, you know, he's, he's fallen down a little bit and with Nisham and, and other people in that area, it, it, he's going to have to turn it around. But, you know, I, I sort of was having this conversation with, with another friend of mine and he pointed out that, you know, it, he pretty much has been out for a, a long time. It's been a very weird year for him. The last 12 months hasn't played a lot of cricket. So yeah, I think probably Raj's comment is a more reasonable comment and, and something we should really stick with. I think the thing for me just to, to wrap up on this, I think is that it's probably going to confuse things a little bit when it comes to that T20 World Cup. We haven't really seen a great deal from the seamers, but who would want a bowl seam on those wickets, to be perfectly honest? It's a pretty thankless task. Even someone that's played a lot of franchise cricket, um, uh, Fizza, uh, Mustafa Fizza Rahim for, for Bangladesh has struggled with his economy rate. Um, the good thing for Colin de Grandhon, though, and LBW, I think, in the third game, but I'll tell you what, he creamed the two that he's uh, hit straight down the field of throat. So at least his timing um, is there, if, uh, if nothing else. Well, look, that, that just about wraps up this week in cricket, our little whiz around the world. We will be back um, after the break um, to talk uh, the purest form of the game, and that's uh, Test Cricket um, England-India at the Kia Oval in London. Well, another podcast, another defeat for England, this time against India at the Kia Oval by some margin, actually, on day five. Of course, it wouldn't be a top-order podcast and an India-England test review without Binksy coming off the long run. So we're just going to open the mic up. We're all going to be silent. And Binksy, what have you got for us? Well, boys, I've just said off air, I'm actually not going to go on a massive rant here. I'm going to be relatively pragmatic about this. And um, I've actually even got some notes to back this stuff up as well. So, look, for me, it was kind of to be expected, if I'm perfectly honest. And when when I actually reflect on it, let's just look at a little bit of history. Um, 
a little bit like Gavrilo Princip being the catalyst uh, for World War One um, when he assassinated the Archduke Franz Ferdinand. We've seen the signs here of, of what was going to happen in terms of this unrest. And perhaps that victory that England uh, managed to burgle last time round was just them punching a little bit above their weights. If we actually look at this, India handed our asses to us in India, saved that first test match that was played on a pretty good wicket. And they did that playing a formula that suited them um, at home with, uh, with the spin of you know Aksar Patel, uh, Ravi Ashwin and, and others. They've come over to um, England and I think they've got their formula dead right again. And look, I think uh, Virat Kohli's probably been proved right in terms of sticking with his trusted formula of Jadeja. I know, Lippy, you'll probably have um, something to say about, you know, the game would have finished on day three if Ravi Ashwin had, had applied. Um, but India were just better. Um, Rohit Sharma showed everybody how to um, construct a really, really good um, uh, first innings um, score, or sorry, second innings score. Um, England didn't bat big enough in that first innings. They didn't really take advantage of being in a very, very good position. And to be honest, they didn't take advantage of being in a pretty strong position at 140 for two in that second innings. How do you go from 140 uh, for two to 210 um, all out on what was still a pretty good wicket? Let's be um, let's be honest. England dropped six or seven catches. Um, there's some worries around the workloads of their seamers. And um, Ravi, uh, sorry, Jadeja's economy rate. I, I won't have the stats, but I'd imagine he went for around about twos. Moen Ali, it seemed, couldn't be trusted to provide that control with the ball. So every single time, Root had to go back and throw the ball to Anderson or Robinson, who, to be honest, have been flogged like um, dead horses um, in this test match. And I think it's um, you know highly likely that one or both of them is going to have to miss this game um, coming up at Old Trafford as well. So I should have probably started with the cliche of credit to the other side. Um, but that's really where this lands for me. You've got to give a massive amount of credit um, to India for getting their selections right again. The core had a you know tremendous test match as well. Um, Bumrah, um, I don't think you can underrate his little twofer. He, he really did get, give some some impetus um, to that second innings. And it feels the right result for an England side that just really aren't good enough. That's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very measured from you. And, and I think uh, I'm interested to hear what uh, Raj and Baldy you have to say, because I feel like it's been such a weird series, this one, in terms of the overreactions. I know we talked a lot about our overreactions last week and, and how we kind of got it all wrong. And, and But maybe we didn't, you know, maybe we just, there was, I think Raj mentioned last week that he thought it was just a blip, you know, kind of one of those 36 all out moments where actually India had been playing some good cricket. They had a bad moment and they lost the test and, you know, normal service has potentially resumed, but you know, three days ago, everyone online wanted half the Indian team dropped. It seemed like the England side had kind of found the answers to their question. They found Ollie Robinson in the last five, you know, a few months. Ollie Pope had come back. He looked really good. You know, Hamid is starting to score some runs. You know, fast forward to now, India is the best team in the world and England's terrible. It's kind of like, what do we make of all of this? Well, the first thing I make of it is that India were five for 100 on day one after 42 overs when Virat was dismissed. That is, a, that is a massive, massive win in the first session and a half for England on day one. To have Coley out, he got 50 in this test match, so he got to 50 finally in the series. Um, you know, he's had a couple of good innings, Coley, but he hasn't quite kicked on. 
England were in the box seat, 127 for seven when Punt was dismissed uh, for nine off 33 deliveries. And then it was England were in the driving seat there. But Shadul Thakur, as you mentioned, Binks, he turned it around. Some great batting in both innings, uh, 57 off 36, the fastest half century by an Indian batter. Really took the momentum away from England from 127 for seven. By the time he was dismissed at the score with a score at 190, then of course India fell away. Um, in that England first innings, again, one for five, two for six, the opener's not doing the job. And then it was five for 60. So having given England the advantage, India were able to rest it back. Or if you like to take the other perspective, England grabbed the advantage but weren't able to hold on to it while they had it. And, of course, England then collapsed for 60 to, to 60 for five. And then sort of Johnny Bairstow and, 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 and Ollie Pope had to, to rest the control back. So it was a real seesawing test match, this one. Both sides really had an opportunity to take the initiative. England's catching for mine really let them down. You know, they dropped Rohit twice. He went on to make 100. India win by 150 or whatever it is. Um, they allowed Punt and, Sh- and Shadul and Umesh Yadav and Bumrah to bat together again at the bottom of the order. Uh, this time it was probably a case of good batting rather than poor bowling. But, you know, England had opportunities to get themselves into this test match and just weren't able to take advantage of those key moments. Yeah, I 100% agree with, with what you guys have been saying. I guess I kind of just want to highlight a couple of players and we can go through them and just talk about them individually. Uh, I'm really surprised uh, Shadul Takur did not get the man of the match. I think his contributions uh, to both or all of the innings, all four of the innings, uh, cannot be discounted. The way he played kept India in the match uh, and put them ahead of the match uh, in, in that uh, third innings there. Uh, the one guy I also want to talk about is Rohit Sharma. Uh, it was really good to see him actually finally get over the line with that 100 because mm-hmm. that is a... That is a, a massive sort of, uh, I'm going to use the word blip again, in his career, not having a, a hundred outside of India. Uh, he's also batted consistently this series. He's been scoring runs consistently without getting that big one. Uh, it's a real testament to his temperament um, and, and really batting with discipline. You saw when Rahul did it in the in the second test, he also scored a big hundred as well. Just Just to pick up quickly on Sharma before you carry on, Raj, I, I just, you know, I just want to kind of reiterate that because I, I absolutely loved watching him bat in the series. I've bet, I've, uh, I've been betting on him for top Indian run scorer in, in every innings, just because he just looks so good. He looks, he looks like someone who is prepared to put in the yards on these hard wickets. And and I know we've talked about that a lot, you know, for different players and and how guys are just nicking off and and all this stuff. But Rohit Sharma looks like someone who's really prepared to dig in. And, you know, some of those drive, you know, he had a straight drive, I think, on the morning of day three. It was just just one of those shots that you just kind of go, oh, yes, wow. And, you know, you actually verbally speak out loud when you're sitting there watching in, in your room by yourself. And, you know, it, just amazing. And, and I've listened to a lot of um, a lot of this test on uh, the SEN commentary while the, I've kind of been... Uh, the Bangladeshi commentators haven't really been doing it for me in in the New Zealand series, so I've just been flicking them off and, and listening to the the England India test. and And Jared Kimber was on there, and and he's you know he's obviously someone who's a, a friend of the podcast, and and um, you know someone we've really enjoyed listening to over the past wee while. And he talked about the process, you know, for Rohit Sharma, it's been the process of going from thirty to a hundred, which has been the the really it's sort of the difficult thing for someone who becomes an opener later on in their career. Uh, and it was, a yeah, I just thought it was a, a fascinating chat. He sort of talked about it with uh, 
thinking about Shane Watson as well as someone who kind of started their, their career lower or, in the lower order. They go up to the top. They have to work so hard on kind of those first 30 runs that when they then have to convert and build the innings later on, it actually becomes quite tricky. And, and it looks like Rohit is, you know, hopefully starting to figure that out because he's, you know, he's obviously piling on a, a lot of runs at least outside or in India. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully this is a sign of things to come for him because I, I just love watching him bat. So I just uh, I also want to talk about uh, Jadeja as well. I'm going to throw to you, Binksy. So a couple of things, a couple of questions about Jadeja. So batting at five, uh, what do you make of that? Uh, in reality, is he just a stopgap solution for Rahane, pushing him down down the order a bit, so he didn't have to face that 20 year old or 20 over old ball? Uh, and then finally, you did mention it earlier, him Virat Kohli saying at the start, which I don't agree with, saying that he had a better matchup than Ravi Ashwin against the English left left hand uh, left handed batsman. Uh, it's hard to argue with him when when uh, they win, but uh, I'm not sure if I agree with that one. Yeah. So look, before I get on to uh, Jadeja, yeah, just want to echo the comments on Sharma, and he's got to have a shake for being one of the best three format players going around um, with the bat. When you look at his stats across uh, T20s, ODIs, and Tests now, and He's got that monkey off his back with a, a, a test 100 overseas. So, um, look, I love watching him bat. And, I, yeah, really love watching him bat for the Mumbai Indians as well. Um, on Jadeja, when he came out and batted at, uh, five in the first innings, I just thought they were maybe thinking about it for some reason as a matchup thing um, and, um, you know, getting a left-hand, right-hand combination going. But then, obviously, it happened in the second innings as well. So, look, that to me is a pretty, a pretty strange one. And, and just shows a little bit of a lack of confidence in a guy that has actually been pretty good for India over the past four or five years in Ajinka Rahane. So I just wonder whether that's done a little bit of damage, um, you, you know, to a guy that, you know, his test average has dipped below 40, but um, still, um, you know, a, a pretty decent um, player. We go back to that Australia series, scored some important runs um, there. Lippy, I think you want to come in on that as well. No, I'll come in on that one. I, I actually think it's a good thing for India because it allows Punt to bat at seven. And I think he's much more comfortable there because he can dash with the tail. Um, we saw it in the second innings. Even though he scored 50 off 106, his slowest ever first-class 50 for Rashad Punt, he's kind of figured out, I can't remember who said it, but someone said it in the press that you know he's got every shot in the book, but up until now he's tried to play all of them off every ball. He kind of put a few shots away for a little while in that second innings. And he, he actually looks a much, much more complete cricketer as a result. I think it actually really suits him batting at seven and then having Takur who can bat below him at eight, who also likes to attack. And those guys can just go hammer and tongs as soon as they get together. I think that suits his game a little bit more rather than having to have that extra responsibility of batting in the top six. So having Jadeja in there to kind of hang around in between Kohli and Rahane to form that kind of key partnership in the middle and then have Rashad, uh, Rashad Punt and Takur come in at the bottom of the order and then just go hell for leather. I think that really works for that Indian setup. I'm going to steal something I saw off on Twitter here <laughs> just to pick up on what you said about Punt and, and playing all the shots. I think uh, I saw someone say, uh, my favourite bit about uh, watching cricket is when Rishabh Punt runs down the wicket, plays a, an attacking shot, and the, the cameraman has to quickly pan the whole field to try and figure out where the ball's gone. <laughs> it was just brilliant. But, you know, absolutely. And, you know, we've been criticising him, you know, and, and hopefully in a, in a constructive way over this this entire series and, uh, you know, stretching back to 
that World Test Championship final. And, and, you know, he delivered the exact innings that they needed at that time. Baldy, I'm going to throw back to you on the core. You, you enjoyed his, his batting down at, um, down at eight. And yeah, on Pant as well, I just want to say he's kept really well. I've been really, really impressed with the way that he's gloved the ball through the series because England's a difficult place to keep, as we've, we've talked about um, a fair bit. So yeah, he's done a good job with the gloves as well. Yeah, I've been a broken clock this week. I've been wrong all the time, except for the two times I've been right. One of them was Punt having a little bit of a bit more introspection and, and maybe playing a little bit within himself. And the other one uh, was Shadul Thakur and his batting and also his ability to swing the ball. So he generated good swing. He generated a little bit of reverse there in the second innings as well. I think he got the key wicket of, of Joe Root in the second inning. So, you know, a good return to the side for him. He just balances that attack really quite nicely for me, as opposed to Ishant, because he can swing the ball a little bit. And his his impact batting at number eight for India in this test match, huge, absolutely huge. I, um, I did want to mention uh, Chris Wokes as well. Um... I it was really great for me to see him come back and, and sort of impose himself on this game with both the bat and the ball. I think he's been a massive sort of missing piece for that England squad over the last 12 months or so in, in Red Bull cricket. Just imagine him with, with the likes of Anderson and Robinson and a uh, Jofra Archer or, or, a, or a Stuart Broad. It, it instantly makes that um, England bowling attack uh, look really fearsome for me. Uh, I was looking at his stats at home. They're incredible. He's averaging 22.64 at home with a strike rate of 44.55, uh, which is absolutely world-class. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was it was good for him to come back. Unfortunately, he couldn't get the win, but I, I think it was good to see him perform well. Yeah, look, um, he's just such a nice guy as well. Comes across really well in the media. Um, for me, and it's going to be a pretty big call, um, he would have been probably one of the best um, swing bowlers going around in the world if James Anderson hadn't have been in his way for the vast majority of his career. You know, bowls a similar pace, similar lengths, um, so probably has missed out um, on occasions. For, for me, and just to pick up on Raj's point, it's just what he adds. He's actually a genuine, um, you know, a genuine third seamer and a guy that can really, really hold a bat at seven. Um, you can throw him the ball in almost any, um, certainly any home conditions, and he'll do a, you know, he'll do a really, really stand-up job um, for you. So, look, yeah, look, I, I think he, for me, jumps well ahead of Curran now in the pecking order for that, um, for that spot. If that's, you know, if they are gonna, in inverted commas, try and replace Ben Stokes, which is a pretty uh, difficult task to do as a, as an all-rounder. Um, I think that Wokes and and um, and look, Mo and Ali, who had a poor Test match here are the two guys that I think between them can fill the, the shoes of uh, Ben Stokes collectively. Yeah, look, let, let's stay with England for a little bit here because, uh, you know, I, I think I've almost feel like I've almost been higher on, on England than, than anyone else in, in the in the room, I was going to say. But, uh, you know, on, on this little screen that I'm looking at at the moment. But because, you know, I feel like, you know, with Pope coming back and, and the signs that, that, you know, he looked uh, relatively good scoring that 80, We've we've seen what what Wokes can do when he comes back. You mentioned Stokes before, someone that's not there. Hamid's come in and scored runs. You know, I, I actually think that they're, they're not actually that far away from being a decent side. And and I and I think there's been a lot of overreaction in this series and, and obviously after this game as well, of you know, gee, England's terrible and they're such an awful side and they've they've really put white ball cricket to the forefront 
And that's had a massive impact on test cricket. And I don't really want to deny that because I do kind of agree with some of that light that, you know, they've definitely prioritized white ball cricket and it's, and it's having an impact on guys like Ben Stokes and Joss Butler and, and other players who are, you know, in those games that they're, they're, so it means they're missing test matches. And, you know, maybe that even goes for, for Moeen Ali going back to India and, and going away uh, from those games. But, you know, I just feel like the the negativity around England is, is maybe going a step too far. Yeah, let me just throw to Baldy and, and let me frame the question for him because, um, look, I agree there's probably a few, if we were talking about an economic recovery, there's a few green shoots there in terms of that England side. You know, Hamid has looked... Um, good, but then's immediately thrown it away both times he's got to 50 in this series. Um, I think Rory Burns again, you know, immediately gets to 50, gets out. Um, Ollie Pipe for me, um, I actually liked the fact that the Night Watchman had come in at, I think, five in Overton because I think Pipe batting at six, that's actually probably the spot for him. I think he's a little bit too high um, coming in um, potentially at five. But my question to Baldy is this, like, if there are, you know, some reasonable signs around England cricket, which I don't think um, there are in the short term, um, who's he scared of when we do make it down on a plane, hopefully to Brisbane in um, in November? Because there ain't too many that are going to worry you either, Baldy. Well, I think Hamid instead of Sibley is a, is a massive step in the right direction for England just because he, well, <laughs> he, he started the rot in the second innings by running out Dawid Milan um, and that really started the, the massive collapse that really sealed the Test match for India. But up until that point, he's been a positive runner between the wickets. He's looked to work the ball on both sides of the square and get off strike and, and that helps Rory Burns a little bit whereas I think he got bogged down both of them when, when Burns and Sibley were batting together. I think they're a better opening pair. No, Joe Root obviously is the is the key wicket, you know, if you're looking forward to that Ashes series. And if Ben Stokes comes into play as well, he's a, he's another one. The bowling attack is starting to have a nice, well-rounded look about it. You throw Broad back in there. You potentially throw Archer in there or Wood, someone with genuine pace. And England have got a pretty good bowling attack to take to Australian conditions. Ollie Robinson can nibble it around a bit at round about, you know, 80 miles an hour, somewhere in that 135, 140 range. Obviously, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad as well probably will feature in that series. I think England need to find a number three. Um, I, I like Dawid Milan. I'm not sure that he's the long-term option, but he has looked in a, a lot better spot than, say, Crawley or Dan Lawrence so far this series. Ollie Pope I really like as a cricketer, but I'm not quite sure whether or not he has got enough runs under his belt to have that inner confidence to go to Australia and make big hundreds. Hopefully for England he can. The thing about that batting lineup is that, that guys need to get in there. Once they get to 50 or 60 or 80, to go on and make big hundreds. That's the thing that's going to make Australia sit up and take notice and go, well, we have to really plan for these guys. At the moment, I don't think Australia would be looking at that batting lineup for England and planning for anyone really other than Joe Root to be making big hundreds against them. If England can do that, if they can find other guys to get in there and make a big hundred, then that's going to be the thing that I think Australia will be thinking, well, shit, we've got a really plan. Because the Australians aren't in great form themselves. Um, some of their bowlers have been bowling okay, but, you know, there's lots of questions about the Australian batting lineup as well, particularly in that three and five area. Let's move on to Test Match 5, which is a pretty tight turnaround. So I think game starts on uh, Friday, I think, um, UK time, um, at Old Trafford. 
which is Jimmy Anderson's home ground. Let's talk a little bit about, um, yeah, any potential changes. So, um, Lippy, we won't cover off Ashwin in because um, we've done that four times already. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but in all seriousness, a bit of a scare for the Indian team with uh, Ravi Shastri and, and Bharat Arun um, from the coaching staff testing positive. They won't be around um, the group. And you've got to say, it's highly unlikely that, you know, players haven't been close contacts of those guys. So, um, yeah, I guess watch quick info for that breaking news um, um, banner. But uh, any COVID scares aside, what do we see India doing for that fifth and final test match? Well, of course, we have to remember that neither Rohit nor Chiteshwar Pujara took the field on day five of that victory at at the Oval. Uh, both of them, I think, sent for scans, but I'm pretty sure that that's just precautionary and those guys will have had a little bit of rest, perhaps. But maybe they're carrying niggles and, you know, a hammy or a calf, something like that. So that's also one to watch. Uh, unless there's a COVID change or those guys have picked up a niggle, I don't think India will change their side uh, for that final test. I think everyone's ready to go. The bowlers have bowled workloads, but not not too excessive that I don't think they'd be able to back up. And certainly uh, a couple of those guys who have taken key wickets in that second innings uh, would be raring to go at, at Old Trafford. I would love, I, I think there's a chance that we see um, Muhammad Shami come back and, and um, possibly for Siraj, um, just given the fact that he played those four tests, not necessarily the fact that, you know, he's, he hasn't bowled well because he's, he's been pretty reasonable in, in, uh, in this series. But I, I think probably picking up on something one of you guys said earlier about uh, England's bowling stocks and, and just how, you know, Robinson and uh, Anderson have been burned into the ground, really. And, and I think it goes back to, I think, something Raj said a few weeks ago and that the the bowling stocks of England have been depleted by all of these injuries. And, and it, it hadn't really shown uh, a negative impact until this test, I think, and, and we really saw the, the the real workload that these guys have had put in, and we haven't really, you know, like you say, we're, we're in a situation where we're coming into the final test of the series, and, and they might have to be rested, almost, you know, potentially both of them. You know, I don't know how they're doing. Obviously, it's a, a really short turnaround, but they, they both looked a lot more tired than they did at the start of the series, which is not a, a big surprise, but I think from India's point of view, you saw the guys that came in and, and the impact that they were able to bring. And and even with Wokes, just having a bowler who's a bit fresher and can come in makes me thinking India might make a change. As much as I want to see Ashwin play again, it, yeah, it just doesn't seem like Virat's going to do it. So for me, I think that they will, they'll, they'll make a change in the bowling department there. I think Shami will, will have a rest and they'll bring in uh, at least one of Sharma if he's recovered and... Uh, and uh, Mohammed Shami, one of those people will play, if not both of them. Um, with the batting, I don't think that they'll go down the line of of dropping Rahani for this one game. I reckon they'll give him one more chance, and then they'll start having a, a look at it. They do have a few batsmen there, one with a, a really, really long name, so I might get bored to try and pronounce that a bit later on. Um, with England, so, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Anderson, he's bowled 163 overs so far in this... Uh, for test series, uh, I'll throw to you, Binksy. Uh, who are they? Who are you nominating to go and tell him that he's not coming out bowling from the Jimmy Anderson end? At Lancashire. Yes, yeah. So look, I, I think that the, the only thing I would say here is um, that Robinson and Anderson don't have any more cricket to play now in this English summer, so um, they can put their feet up and and plan ahead for 
November and getting themselves to, to Australia. Obviously, the only conversation that's going to be going on is how close are they to that um, red zone that they talk about? Because, um, you know, a hamstring pull or something that's going to keep you out for six or eight weeks means you're probably not on the plane uh, down to Australia. So that's probably the only concern. So I, I think they might have to ask them both um, to play again um, with perhaps um, the pragmatic person in me saying that Anderson's not going to, um, as you say, uh, rock up at Old Trafford and, and carry the drinks at his home ground and his home end. Um, they might sort of say to Robinson, mate, um, you know, you're on the plane. Um, this is a, you know, a workload thing. We've got Mark Wood that can kind of come in um, on a pitch that's typically a little bit quicker. Um, the interesting one for me, though, really, is the return or not of Joss Butler. Um, so he's been off on parental leave, um, I think, pictured on Instagram with his new arrival. Um, him, and, yeah, him and his wife, obviously, um, yeah, uh, giving birth this, uh, this past week. Um, I think he comes back in. Um, and the reason I think he comes back in is um, they want him on that plane to Australia as an option. Um, ask the question of Baldy, you know, who do you fear? Um, and I'd say that um, Australia, you know, if England are in a pretty decent position at any point during that series at 300 for five, they wouldn't want to see Joss Butler stride into the crease that, you know, they'd probably rather see someone else. So um, I think they've got to play him in this game. Otherwise, I think he takes the decision that, he probably hangs up the red ball gloves and concentrates on the white ball stuff. What about um, what about Overton? So he, he was probably one of the, I'm not going to say one of the reasons, but he was one of the reasons that um, Jimmy and um, Ollie Robinson had to bowl a lot more overs than they than they had to. As we said earlier, Moeen, Ali, and um, Overton didn't really restrict those runs or or put pressure on from one end. So do you think that he is likely to play in a I guess I'm kind of asking, has he done enough to retain his spot or, or you know, rest and rotation aside, would he uh, be dropped for you for this next test? I think it comes down to whether Mark Wood plays or not. If, if he does, then I, I think he comes straight in for um, for Overton. I think Wokes will probably keep his spot. Um, so for, for me, I think the change is, is probably going to be Wood in for Overton. Um, and then, yeah, they might have a look at what they do with... Um, Ollie Robinson, um, you know, if, uh, you know, you might see a Sam Curran come back in. You might see Saqib um, Mahmood get a game as well. Um, so, you know, he's uh, someone that I think they probably um, don't necessarily want to have a look at in a test match, which, you know, could could um, bring the series to a, um, a, a tie. Um, but if they want to potentially put him on the plane to Australia, now is really the only chance to have a look at him in that. Um, that test match environment. So there's there's options there for England. Um, but to answer your question succinctly, Raj, I don't think Overton plays in the next game. So we'll close on predictions for the final test match coming up at Old Trafford and, and hopefully this podcast hitting your airwaves and before we get too much of a head start on this um, with the game already having started potentially. But um, I'm going to come round the proverbial table i'll start in my top left which um, is michael uh, michael baldwin um so yeah what, what are you thinking for this game at old trafford is it 3-1 india or can england cause what we think would be an upset yes i think i think india win the test match and win the series 3-1 i think it will be close again i think england have for me not taken the opportunities that they've had so far in this series to really risk control of it. India have won the key moments and I expect them to do so again. Raj? 
Yeah, I think I think India again, um, mainly for a lot of the reasons, mainly for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about just now. Um, <laughs> I, I think the English bowlers have have bowled a lot uh, this this series, especially Jimmy, who's been incredible uh, throughout the whole series, uh, and I think. With Virat Kohli, I feel like he is about to break free of that cocoon and become a beautiful butterfly. So watch for that in the next test. So 3-1 uh, final score for me. Yeah, yeah look, I can't, I can't go away from that either. So 3-1 uh, for me. I, I think India just um, too strong. And I, look, I, I don't want to steal Lippy's thunder, but I hope Ravi Ashwin gets a game in this last one to, um, to make our little off-spinner happen. <laughs> Oh, it'd make me very, very happy. It would make, uh, I tell you what, it would make cricket Twitter very happy. I, I, honestly, the first four days, I think, of that game, pretty much the whole time, top order timeline, when I scrolled down, it was filled with, I said earlier, it was filled with people who thought half the Indian team should be dropped. The only other interludes there were, well, I can't believe Ashwin's not playing in this game. Geez, Ashwin would be going really well in that fourth, in that f- day five. Oh, boy, India really need Ashwin on day five if they're going to, uh, play this this pitch looks really flat and I you know I I did agree but yeah I mean going back going back to the predictions I, it's gonna be a clean sweep for us here it's a, yeah it's 3-1 for me you know primarily because I said 3-1 at the start of the series um, but also because you know I, I, I as I've said earlier I think England have have been better in this series than people have given them credit for I really do I think they've competed very well in a lot of parts but Baldy hit the nail on the head just before by saying that India have won the key moments. And and I would also go as far to say as England have kind of lost those key moments as well. You know, when the, the time has come for someone to step up or, you know, we need one more wicket here and we're, we're going to make the breakthrough or we, we really just need one big partnership here to kick on. It just hasn't happened. And, and it's tended to have, haven't, it's tended to not happen in a really disastrous way. Either there's been a big partnership put on against them, or they've lost wickets in in clumps. And yeah, I just I, I can't see them turning that around again. Uh, although I, I do think it'll be another competitive, enjoyable test. Awesome. Well, guys, that wraps up another remote recording of the Top Order podcast. We will be back in your feeds with more cricketing hall of fame. We'll also be back uh, with another this week in cricket um, to wrap up what's going on. Um, in this England-India series and a whole host of other stuff as well. Please do, as always, dip back into the back catalogue if you've run out of uh, current episodes in your little feed. We've got some fantastic uh, news views and interviews from all over the world in the back catalogue. But for now, it's good night and God bless from all of us here in Auckland. Uh, Stay safe if you're in a bubble and we'll see you um, in a week's time. Good night.